This is the uh, this is the second uh, talk or class or discussion on uh, Buddhist psychology, the Abhidhamma, in which over four nights, four classes, we'll be talking about the four paramatta dhammas or the four ultimate uh, realities or the four realities which are directly experienceable. And uh, the first of those that we talked about a couple of nights ago is consciousness. And just to refresh your memory, the four are consciousness, mental states, which we'll be talking about tonight, uh, materiality, which we'll talk about next Tuesday, and next Thursday will be Nibbana, uh, the four directly experienceable reality. So the last time, you remember, I talked about the different uh, <coughs> spheres of consciousness. Sense sphere consciousness, uh, the wholesome, the unwholesome, and the purely sensory, seeing consciousness, hearing consciousness, uh, body, touch consciousness, etc the wholesome uh, mental uh, consciousness which are influenced by mindfulness, tranquility, awareness, equanimity. The unwholesome consciousness which are rooted in uh, attachment or craving, rooted in aversion, rooted in delusion. And then I spoke about the different uh, jhanas, degrees of absorption both fine material jhanas, immaterial jhanas, and then the different stages of enlightenment. Now, each of those consciousness, consciousness is knowing, each of those consciousness arises in a moment and passes away, or in fact in one moment many thousands, millions, billions of consciousness arise in the snap of a finger. <coughs> Each one of those consciousness <coughs> is attended by or is the receptacle for mental states or factors of mind, different factors of mind come together, arise at the same time as consciousness, pass away at the same time as consciousness, take the same object as consciousness. Consciousness can take a visual object, uh, audible object, a smell, a taste, or a thought. Mental states take the same object as consciousness. And they arise, the mental states arise at the same base as consciousness. The base being one of the five senses that we know, or what is called the base of the mind, the mind base commonly referred to as the heart. It's not the physical heart, please understand that, but it is it's referred to as the base of the mind, the physical base of the mind. Mental states arise and pass away at the same time as consciousness. They take the same object, they arise at the same base as consciousness.
these mental factors or these factors of mind, some of them are aid in the perception of sense objects. Some of them aid in the recognition or the cognition of those objects, and some of them are our affective relationship to those objects. And as I talk about them, I'll talk about them uh, both from the point of view of when they arise, which consciousness they arise with, and what function they serve in that consciousness. Okay? And as I go through uh, this evening, uh, again, I'll talk for a while. If you have questions, let me know somehow, and I'll, uh, I'll try to get to you. And we'll take a break midway through, and uh, we'll come back for a uh, more extended time of uh, dialogue or uh, questions if you have any, and then wrap it up in 9 minutes. So. I guess the first place to start is that when we perceive a, uh, or, or when the senses are activated, when any one of the senses are activated, and we'll just take uh, the eye, we'll talk about the eye sense, or the eye consciousness tonight. When a visible object comes in contact with the sensitivity of the eye, and I consciousness. There is a contact between those three elements. Contact is the first mental factor, factor of mind, which arises in every moment of consciousness. It arises universally. These first seven <coughs> mental factors are universals in that they arise with every moment of consciousness. There has to be contact between a sense base, a sense object, and that sense consciousness. Contact is the coming together of those three <coughs> elements. When a sense consciousness arises. There is a feeling tone to it. There is a positive, uh, pleasant, uh, physical or mental feeling. There is a negative uh, or unpleasant physical or mental feeling. And sometimes there can be a neutral mental feeling when the mind is uh, very Quantus can be a very neutral feeling. But in any event, with the arising of every consciousness, there is a feeling tone to it. We're not talking about emotion, feeling as, we're not talking about feeling as emotion, but we're talking about the mere pleasant or unpleasant quality of each and every moment's experience. <coughs> and if we pay careful attention as we just sit here, if we pay careful attention to the feeling in the body, the sounds that we hear, 
the sites, we can roughly notice pleasantness and unpleasantness. In fact, the whole, uh, all of our experience can be seen as falling on the side of pleasant or unpleasant, more or less. So every uh, consciousness has a feeling tone to it. Perception, the third of the universals, is when highly developed, perception is the ability to recognize uh, what's happened, to, to recognize uh, the thought, to recognize the sight, to recognize the sound, to recognize the smell, whatever it is. Initially, in sense contact, it's the mere recognition of, or the perception of, uh, or the knowing of, uh, seeing is happening. That's all. That's the first level of perception, that seeing is happening, knowing that. Later on, it's knowing the color, the shape, uh, the image, and the name of whatever it is you're seeing. But initially, in just pure sense contact, sense consciousness, it's the uh, a recognition or the perception that that sense door is being activated. That hearing is taking place, seeing is taking place, or whatever. The fourth mental state is volition. Volition is when highly developed, uh, or in, in, in any case, it is our intention or it's our motivation, it's the uh, impetus for the movement of the mind. And it is what is known as, or it is the comma of our actions. When volition is highly developed, it's that volition which determines whether an action is skillful, wholesome, or unskillful, unwholesome, leading to appropriate results. Uh, it arises in each and every moment of consciousness. There is some degree of volition. Sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not. Some instruction or some teachers in their meditation instruction when you are being taught or guided through uh, the opening of the mind, there comes a point when they say to, they ask you to begin to pay attention to your intentions. Okay? After you begin to, to be able to watch your breath for a little while and watch your mind and, and do your walking meditation and, and the general awareness of your activities during the day, at some point you receive the instruction to begin to pay attention to your intentions. You're intending to move. You're intending to stand up. You're intending before you step, before you eat, before you speak. When you train the mind to pay close attention to intentions, it's this volition that you're starting to be aware of, to be mindful of. In fact, the body would not move <coughs> without this arising. And yet, we've been moving for 20 or 30 or 40 years and may never have noticed our intention to do something. Mindfulness opens that part of the mind to us so we can begin to see uh, 
more of what's going on, more details into the nature of our life as a body. Combined. Volition uh, is the intention, it's the karma of all of our actions. The fifth uh, mental factor, the factor of mind that arises in each and every moment of consciousness is one-pointedness. One-pointedness means that the mind collects on a single object for that period of time. The mind is not <coughs> focused on different objects at one period of time, at one moment of time. It's only focused on one sense object, one sight, one sound, one uh, thought, only one. It's not focused on two or three things. When one-pointedness is highly developed is what we call concentration. When the mind gets collected, gets focused, and uh, is unfragmented, we get very concentrated on a single um, experience, a single object. In practicing meditation, there are two types of meditation as I talked about the last time. Concentration meditations which lead to tranquility, insight meditation which leads to wisdom, in either case, there is a focusing and a concentrating of the mind on a meditation object. In each and every moment, there is only one object, but as you string together uh, consecutive moments on the same object, more of the mind gets collected, more of the mind gets rounded up, brought into and focused on uh, uh, that particular uh, concept if you're practicing a tranquility meditation like loving-kindness or if you're practicing insight more of the mind gets gathered in each moment to focus on whatever physical or mental experience you're aware of at that time the breath thoughts other physical sensations or whatever but it's that one-pointedness of mind that arises in each and every moment when highly developed becomes or is known as experienced as a deep concentration, absorption, collectedness of mind. The sixth mental factor, factor of mind, is called psychic life. It's that faculty which gives life to the mind, which vivifies the mind, which uh, moves the mind, which makes the mind alive. Of course, obvious, needs to be present or in each moment, or there's no mind. One would be dead, or we would call dead, no mind. <coughs> Attention is, in this case, it's a, it's a particular, uh, has a particular meaning. It's not just a, a broad scope, but it's the uh, attending of the mind to an object to an experience in each and every moment. The mind needs to be drawn to an object, drawn to an experience in each and every moment. These seven, these first seven, must arise in each and every moment of concentration. And they serve the perceptual function. They're all serving 
the function of perception, of recognizing this moment, just being here, just whatever it is that the mind is attending to at that time. So we can say that all of the universals are serving or serve a perceptual, uh, sensory perceptual uh, function. Any questions about those first seven briefly? Yes. What's the difference between uh, one point and this attention? Attention is the drawing of the mind to an object. One point in this is the focusing of the mind on just that object. There's, there's, if we get talking down through here, there's going to see, be some uh, that appear to overlap or very hard to distinguish. And uh, as best I can, I'll try to make the distinction, but it may not be uh, so noticeable from our experience because these things all arise at the same time. So it's very difficult sometimes to to get to an experiential difference of attention and one-pointedness, or perception and this and, and something else. But to generally get an idea that these things come together and all arise and pass away at the same time. And I'll try to explain them the best I can. Yeah? What's going on in sleep? Uh, what's going on in sleep? <coughs> okay. Indeed, there is still all of these, at least all of these going on. Uh, but it's set at such a low level that, of course, we're not aware of it. Awareness is going to come down here somewhere. But uh, sleep, I'll talk about sleep more on the fourth night when I talk about the stream of consciousness and the differences between sleep, uh, great mindfulness, uh, weak mindfulness, uh, in different stages like that. What were the three parts of contact again? The three, the three elements which need to uh, come together for contact is a sense base, meaning the sensitive part of the eye, the sensitive part of the ear, the sensitive part of the nose, the tongue, the body, or the mind, the sensitive part of the mind, the heart base. That sense base, the sense object, visible, visible object, audible object, tactile object, thought, whatever, and sense consciousness, seeing eye consciousness, ear consciousness, those three come together. The way that it can be understood is that the sense object is like uh, <coughs> the striker, <coughs> like, it's like a match. The sense base is like the little, uh, little strip on the side of the matchbox. And when they come together and, and hit like that, the sense consciousness is ignited. So it's like the three come together, ignition, so that the sense consciousness arises. Yes? What happens when you're uh, seeing the awareness Right. Remember now, in a moment, in the snap of a finger, there are billions of consciousness passing by very rapid fluxing of the mind. When mindfulness gets shot, we can be aware of uh, things extremely rapidly. And it may appear that we are knowing two things at once. 
three things at once, many things at once. As we sit here in this room, it seems like I'm seeing many different colors, I'm hearing, I'm feeling the body all at once. The mind is extremely rapid. Mindfulness can begin to pick up uh, this, the speed with which these consciousness are happening. Yep. So are you saying that um, I thought it happened when you, when you know it, it already happened. When you're aware of it, it's already finished. Yes, I understand what you're saying. And uh, I'd rather answer that question when I get into talking about the stream of consciousness where I talk about, where I'll be talking about what happens when the sense base picks up an object and then the mind thinks about it before it comes up with a reaction and a knowing of it. And there's a sequence of, in the stream of consciousness uh, that will identify that process uh, a little bit clearer. Right now I just want to talk about, um, what would you call them? These are like the component elements in each moment of consciousness. There's consciousness, <coughs> these mental factors are the pieces that come together. The stream of consciousness in which we are living, <coughs> this, this active uh, evolution or change throughout time is the stream of consciousness, is the dynamic interaction between these component elements. It's like uh, we're talking now about all the pieces of the car. We're talking about the wheel, the steering wheel, the seat, the ashtray, the windshield. We haven't got to talking about driving the car and the scenery that's going by. We're just talking about the car itself, the pieces of the car that come together so that we can then drive down the road and make our journey. On the fourth night, I'll be talking about the journey. Once we've got the car put together, we can go on a trip. But first, we've got to know what the car's like. Or this is what I'm going to talk about the first couple of nights. Yeah. What about the connection between one and two, between contact and feeling? <clears throat> There's not a connection. They arise at the same time, and they have the same object, the same sight, the same sound, whatever. What, what? And there is a feeling tone to that consciousness. But the feeling tone can be either positive or negative. Yes. Is there something beyond pure contact? that it's operating then to give it positive or negative valence? What, what causes something to have a positive rather than a negative valence? I'm not sure that I know what causes it, but I think that we can, in our own practice, we can experience it. We can know, yes, indeed, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant. Uh, why it's pleasant or unpleasant, that may not be so important. But the very fact that we can identify the pleasantness or unpleasantness is important. Other, I, I, I want to be able to get through this tonight, and uh, there'll be a chance for more questions. But just briefly, if you understand the first seven, I'll move on to the next particulars, and uh, we'll have time for more questions later. So once the sense, once the uh, sense door has been rattled and has taken in an object and uh, has worked with it, uh, the mind begins to work on it. And 
it's these next particulars that uh, are, are the beginning of the mind working on that pure sense contact that has already happened. And in the pure sense, seeing consciousness, hearing consciousness, these seven are the only factors of mind that arise. When the mind then takes that image, that sound, or that thought, and begins thinking about it, these particulars, uh, the next uh, six, begin to operate. And they're called particulars because they arise with particular consciousness. They can arise with unwholesome consciousness, and they can arise with the wholesome consciousness. So they are common to both wholesome and unwholesome. The first 13 are called common to each. Common to whole, they're, they're common to the wholesome and the unwholesome uh, consciousness. The universals arise with every consciousness. The particulars arise with some consciousness. So, the eighth uh, factor of mind is the uh, application of the mind, or it's the connecting of the mind to that experience, to the experience, to the object, connecting of the mind to whatever sight, sound, or thought has been taken in. Connecting of the mind, and when the mind is <coughs> repeatedly connected to the uh, we'll say the meditation object, then we can begin to sustain the mind on it. The objects are, are happening very rapidly. Uh, the <coughs> consciousness is happening so rapidly that uh, the mind <coughs> needs to be directed to connect with the experience and then hold the mind, need to hold the mind on the experience so that we can begin to get a sense of what it is, so we can begin to know it mentally. There's a lot of sensory stimulation happening all the time. When we direct our attention to one of them and hold our attention on the sight, the sound, or whatever, and sustain our attention, uh, then we can begin to know it more clearly. These two, uh, eighth and ninth uh, factors of mind, are the, uh, the two primary factors of mind that get cultivated, that get developed when you begin to practice meditation. It's the training of the mind to connect with the experience of the moment and to hold your mind on it so you can begin to know it, like the breath. Connect your attention to the breath, hold your attention for the duration of the breath. Then you know it. The, these uh, factors of mind, uh, when aroused, uh, begin to, in meditation, when they're aroused in meditation, begin to overcome and put aside sleepiness, sloth and torpor. And these are the factors of mind which pose the hindrance, sloth and torpor, directly. Decision or resolution, the tenth uh, factor of mind. Resolution or de decision is that ability of the mind to uh, be decisive. It's not so much to make a decision, but for the mind to be fixed 
on a course of action, a course of being mindful, a course of uh, to staying on a certain object, or staying with a certain thought, or staying with a certain uh, concept as in development of loving kindness. This factor of mind, this resolution or decision, can be specifically cultivated in meditation, initially just by giving yourself some encouragement uh, at the beginning of a sitting meditation to just uh, encourage yourself with uh, for the next 40 minutes, next 45 minutes or whatever, I'm going to try to pay attention to the breath. I'm going to try to stay firmly with the movement of the breath. And that's how you begin to cultivate that resolution, that steadiness of mind to stay on a track. Now, this factor of mind can be developed uh, to uh, tremendous power of mind so that in the development, uh, when one is able to access the jhanas, the jhana consciousness that I talked about uh, the other day, uh, when one can enter that ecstatic, uh, concentrated state, uh, through this factor of mind, developing this factor of mind, one can uh, train themselves, train the mind to enter that jhana at will, to stay in that jhana for as long as you want, come out when you want. And uh, once one learns how to access the jhana consciousness uh, initially, uh, it's a very quick and fleeting experience, and then you begin to work with resolutions, where you make determination in your mind before you meditate to enter the jhana, to stay in the jhana, and to come out of the jhana, uh, depending on your, your level of skill. And as you work with that ability of the mind to be decisive, you can lengthen the period of time in which you remain in jhana, the depth of the jhana, the length of the jhana, and uh, a whole array of fascinating things to do when you uh, develop the ability of the mind to be decisive. Very noticeable uh, factor of mind when developed. Energy, the eleventh factor of mind, is the uh, energy <coughs> mental energy and uh, for anybody who's practiced any meditation somehow you have to come to terms with what is this stuff called mental energy we we know what physical energy is it's up and moving around and being active and uh, when we begin to meditate it's the first thing that we realize is I don't really know what mental energy is. We might be active and restless and whatnot, but the energy that can be harnessed for mindfulness is the mental energy that I'm talking about here. And uh, it's uh, a noticeable thing when we got it, and when we don't, well, that's the problem. <laughs> Again, energy directly opposes uh, sloth and torpor in, in, in meditation practice. Joy, the twelfth uh, factor of mind, is uh, two things. It is a fascinated interest in one's experience, and it can bring a sense of great delight. Great delight in a sensory experience 
eating chocolate, watching a sunset, hearing music, or great delight in uh, one's meditative experience, where one is really in touch with and in tune with uh, and mindful of their experience. Great joy and delight can arise. Now, as we know, these factors of mind are common to both the wholesome and the unwholesome consciousness. And that means that it is possible to have great joy when one is craving. Craving. When one has a very confused and deluded and attached mind. We can have great joy and delight in that. <coughs> it's also possible to have great joy and delight is mindful or aware or arousing great compassion or loving kindness. So that factor of mind, joy, uh, is not always wholesome. Would that, would that not be pleasure instead of joy? Uh, pleasure is, uh, we can use uh, different words to talk about, but it's really a mental delight. It's a mental delight. Pleasure Somehow I get a sense of physical feeling, of uh, pleasant <coughs> physical feeling. Now, other people can have different associations with that, but it is like pleasure. However, uh, when one is experiencing joy through meditation, it's not an indulgence in a sensual or sensory pleasure, sense experience. It's, it's a feeling of great joy and delight with the... Uh, condition of the mind. In my own mind, I always distinguish between joy and pleasure having to do with the act of seeking. Like, it, the same experience could be joyful or it could be pleasurable, depending on whether there was craving involved. That's the way I always thought of it. And that's, that seems to always make more sense to me to, in, in the history of the words to, to, to speak of it that way. Mm -hmm. Although most people use them interchangeably, so it's the same thing. If you have a particular uh, connection or understanding of any of these words, that's fine. Unfortunately, what these are the, uh, what I think are the best English equivalents of Pali words, Pali being the language of the Buddha, and the word that is translated here as joy is piti, and, it, uh, and joy may or may not fully convey the meaning of piti, because <clears throat> there are several, there are different types of piti. You know, there's the, the there's just this uh, a, a very minor piti, which is just a, 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 a flash or a rush of uh, tingling in the body, where the hairs just might stand on end. It's just a brief, momentary thing. Uh, at one end of the possible uh, joy <coughs> spectrum. At the other end of uh, the joyful spectrum, there is this rapturous, ecstatic uh, uh, indulgence in extreme waves of uh, pleasure and uh, uh, great joy running through the body and the mind for great long periods of time. And it can be an exhilarating and uh, overwhelming uh, experience like riding on a roller coaster and uh, flying and swooping and swooning and, and just having a tremendous 
exhilarated and uplifted physical and mental condition when joy gets really when joy gets really aroused, really highly developed. Thirteenth uh, mental factor, factor mind, is the <coughs> mere wish to do. This is not desire. This is not uh, the unwholesome desire and longing for something. It's the mere wish in the moment to do this. Not attachment and longing for any particular experience. It's a, uh, a what a ethical, a non-ethical. It's not, it's not immoral or moral. It's just the mere wish to do. Different from intention. Uh, different from intention. Yes. But it may not be clear what the difference is. <laughs> the intention is that uh, abolition is the motivation behind it. That wholesome, skillful, unskillful. Uh, you know, loving kindness or and, and generous feeling, or that kind of hateful, aversive uh, feeling. Whereas <coughs> carnation or wish to do is just a mere wish to do, and then it's tinted or flavored by wholesome or unwholesome when we get into uh, volition, and then it's either wholesome or unwholesome uh, flavor. These particulars. Uh, arise when the mind begins working with the sensory contact which has already happened. And they are the, uh, this is the number eight, the initial application or the connecting of the mind is that factor of mind which overcomes sleepiness. And I'll talk about the opposing, what these factors of mind oppose uh, later on after I've covered some of the unwholesome and wholesome factors of mind. So briefly, any questions about those next six? If not, we'll get on to the interesting stuff that we're all very familiar with, all of these hindrances. Number nine is sustained application, and it means a sustained application of the mind on the experience. The number eight is the initial application or the connecting of the mind to the experience or the attention on the experience, and then the ninth is the sustaining of it. It's not that they, they don't happen sequentially, they happen at the same time, but it's a slightly different function uh, or an attribute uh, of the mind. So the first 13 uh, factors of mind arise uh, and serve initially or primarily the perceptual function. And already we can see that these, uh, the particulars, serve a cognitive function in the mind. Because as we apply the mind, we connect the mind and sustain the mind on the experience, we begin to know it. We begin to become clear what that experience is. So the mind is uh, cognizing uh, what has stimulated the senses, what has activated the sense consciousness. It's taken in the, the mind has begun to reflect on, and in that first 
uh, reflection of the mind after the sense has been activated, after the sense door has been activated, the mind begins to reflect by <coughs> connecting and, and, and staying on that image in the mind and beginning to know it. Uh, so then it begins to, the mind is beginning to cognize that uh, experience, to know it. Now, our conditioning, uh, as we have grown up, is such that uh, we have been trained to pick and choose and decide and to like and dislike, to like or dislike everything that we come in contact with. You know, mommy says, don't do that, do this. That's good boy, that's good girl, don't do that, don't tap, don't do that. And we get trained uh, very early to like and dislike experience, all of our sensory experience. And it's not only mommy is you know, it's our karma, it's many things that, that, that contribute to that conditioning. But what in effect is happening is that we're being taught uh, mental states, uh, wholesome mental states and, and unwholesome mental states. <coughs> so the unwholesome uh, factors of mind, which uh, we're, we're quite familiar with, uh, the hindrances, and a few others. The first, and how do we talk about this? How do we just that? Uh, why don't I just go through them? The 14th uh, factor of mind, or the first unwholesome and unskillful uh, factor of mind, is delusion. This is basic ignorance of what's going on, unclarity, just not knowing accurately what our experience is. Delusion, confusion, ignorance, all have same, similar, similar meaning. Uh, every state or every consciousness which is, uh, which is an unwholesome consciousness or every relationship that we have which is unwholesome, has this factor of mind in it. There is some confusion uh, or not seeing clearly what's happening. Along with it is uh, what the 15th and 16th are called moral shamelessness and moral fearlessness, or number 16 can be called remorselessness. What those are, what those two are, 15 and 16, are a disregard in oneself for one's own ethical uh, values. Hmm? That's the first 15. It's a disregard for one's own ethical <coughs> standards. The 16th is a disregard for others' ethical standards. When one does not have regard, does not give consideration, does not honor their own ethical standards, we can be quite willing to do all sorts of unwholesome things. You know, 
great craving and attachment, great confusion, great sleepiness, great aversion, hatred, depression, all sorts of things. Because we're not uh, staying in touch with or honoring uh, ethical standards. And it's a little bit tricky because these ethical standards are not necessarily the prevailing uh, standards of the society you live in. <coughs> but it's our own sense. And I think any of us who have paid attention to our inner life very much have a sense of when we cross that boundary. When we're doing something and we cross our own boundary of what is acceptable for me to do. Right? And it just causes a quivering in the heart that is undeniable once you begin to pay attention to it. However, when we're really caught up in craving or aversion or anger or whatever, we're perfectly willing to cross that at will. And that's happens. A lot of what we see in, uh, in uh, our society and the world at large is uh, an extreme willingness to disregard these two factors of mind. Willingness on, willingness on the part of individuals, certainly on the part of governments, to disregard uh, morality, ethical standards of any kind. The 16th, uh, uh, 17th, 17th factor of mind is restlessness. And whenever the mind is in an unwholesome state, whenever there is an un skillful relationship to experience through confusion, through attachment, through aversion, primarily, the mind is going to be restless. The mind is going to be in an agitated state, unable to be settled on and at peace with and resting in that experience. There's going to be an agitation, uh, a degree of restlessness. These four, 14, 15, 16, and 17, they arise in each and every consciousness which is flavored by or rooted in attachment, aversion, or delusion. Always these four arise. Yeah? Um, there was a, you, you said that moral shamelessness was with regard to what's on the ethical standards didn't necessarily correspond to the ethical standards Yes, the others is indeed it's, it's it's others out here, but in it the way it's talked about in the Buddhist, you know, in in the books, is that it's disregard for those high ethical standards of wise beings. The others being wise beings, not necessarily the prevailing wisdom of your culture. <coughs> but those uh, those ethical standards which are recognized by all wise men, women, and other beings, and, you know, primarily we can understand that is the five precepts: not killing, not stealing, speaking truthfully and harmlessly, uh, using intoxicants, not using intoxicants to the point of heedlessness, not misusing sexual energy. The first four unwholesome factors of mind arise in every unwholesome consciousness. Then 
You remember that I talked about the consciousness, which the unwholesome consciousness. Some of them are rooted in aversion, some of them are rooted in attachment. Attachment, the 18th uh, factor of mind, it arises whenever one is wanting. The wanting mind is our good old friend, uh, very familiar, anybody who's ever paid attention to your mind. Wanting this, wanting that, endlessly. This factor of mind is being cultivated. And the advertising man has discovered this factor of mind. And he knows how to activate it in most of us, most of the time. And that's what's being activated. And you know from your own experience, and just reflect for a minute on your own experience, of what it's like to see something that you want and can't have, that you want to get and can't have. You know, whether it's a new car, that piece of chocolate, or a little more money, or a new lover, or whatever it is. That feeling that you have when you want something really badly and can't get it, caused by, or it's that feeling. It's actually the feeling here of unpleasantness, but it's caused by, or it's attended by, or conditioned by attachment. Nineteenth factor mind, wrong belief, is primarily the misunderstanding of the law of karma. Not understanding that actions have effects. Moral causation. Moral cause and effect. The law of moral cause and effect. It's not understanding that that, or not believing, not understanding, not honoring that. And it's not, it may be misunderstanding it also believing that uh, some things are caused and some aren't, or that there is no cause for, uh, or no result, or no, no effect for one's actions. That wrong belief can also be uh, the identification or the belief in a permanent uh, entity within here. Call it a self, call it a soul, call it an ego, whatever your particular flavor of word is, but it's belief in uh, a sense of something permanent in here that lasts throughout eternity. That's the primary wrong belief that uh, in Buddhism uh, is considered a pernicious wrong view. In Western psychology, it's the basis of all Western psychology. <laughs> and there's the difference between psychotherapy and meditation practice. In a nutshell. <laughs> well, that'll, that'll get me into trouble. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, wrong belief. The twentieth factor of mind is conceit. Conceit is uh, is um, the best way to understand conceit. The best way to experience conceit is comparing mind. It's the mind that says. I'm better than they are. Or it's the mind that says, I'm a real schmuck, I'm not as good as they are. Or it's the mind that says, I'm equal to that person. It's the mind that compares me with anyone else and places it in me. And that conceit is a very difficult uh, thing to uproot from the mind. One of the last fetters of the mind to be uprooted because there is such a strong tendency to 
feel separate from others. That I am more loving, I am uh, better in some way, or a little more mindful, a little wiser, or I'm not so loving, I'm not so wise as another. And when that's going on, when there's that comparing of oneself with others, that fact of mind is being activated. Conceit is not only the inflated sense of self, it can be a very deflated sense of self also. So conceit is not quite the right English word, but it's the best we've got for the... Can you call it self-cherishing? Can you call it what? Self-cherishing? Yeah, it can be self-cherishing, but you know, when you're really putting yourself down and saying, boy, I'm a real schmuck, I'm so mindless, I'm such a hateful person, you know, I don't know if we cherish that sense of self, but it certainly is a comparing of that sense of self with others. But I understand where you're coming from. Greed, attachment, wrong belief, conceit. 21 is aversion. Aversion is the basic separation of oneself from others, from experience of any sort. And it takes many forms. There's many flavors of aversion. This outright hatred, which of course is very divisive and separate. There is uh, aversion, hatred, disliking. Disliking an experience. Aversion to it, wanting to be separate from, away from that experience. Depression, aversion, separation. Uh, frustration, being unhappy with the way things are. Wanting to be separate from it wanting it to change, wanting it to be different than it is right now. Depression, frustration, anger, uh, sadness sometimes is a separation. Wanting to be away from, wanting that experience, wanting that thing that's happening not to happen. Pity has that separate, separating quality of, oh, that's too bad. I wish it didn't happen. Basic aversion. Aversion, number 22, is envy. Wanting or envying what another has. Or who another is. Not liking, being averse to the way things are. And having that envy for something else. 23 is avarice. Avarice is not wanting others to know or, uh, what you have. Being... Uh, what, stingy or something like that. Not, not quite not quite the same as, as uh, greed and attachment, but it's not wanting others to know, not wanting to share, want, not wanting to avarice. Let me have a better word for that one. Yes. So it arises with aversion in its concealment of one's own wealth, whether it's material or knowledge or qualities of mind and heart. Twenty-four is worry. Worry is a reflection on the past uh, experiences of, that one's had and feeling uh, upset about things that you did and said that were harmful or uh, being upset that you didn't take advantage of the opportunity you had to, to be mindful, to be generous, to be <coughs> careful and considerate. Worry is a reflection on the past. Sloth and Torpor, number 25 and 26, well-known friends to anybody who's tried to watch their mind. Sloth and torpor, dullness, uh, sleepiness, boredom, whatever you, however you experience it, that's what's happening there. And number 27 is doubt. Doubt is that 
fragmentation of the mind that can't settle on a single experience, that cannot settle on uh, a decision, cannot settle on knowing this moment is this, that moment is that. It's dumbed about what's happening. As one practices meditation, we begin to get the instructions to connect with our experience, to stay with the breath, to sustain our attention on the breath, to arouse the energy, to stay focused, to be mindful. The arousing of the energy and the connecting with our experience overcomes thought and talk. If you're connecting with your experience each and every moment, you're not going to be asleep. You're going to be awake. You're going to be mindful. You're going to begin to be aware of what's going on. When you're able to sustain your mind on the experience, you can connect with it, but it's gone in an instant. When you can begin to connect with the experience and hold your mind on it, stay with it while it happens. So the breath takes a second or two. You connect with it, you stay with it, you sustain the attention. You know it. You, 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 you begin to see that experience from the beginning through the middle to the end of that experience. There's no doubt in your mind what that experience was. Sustained application of mind overcomes doubt. So now you've got your mind connecting to and sustaining on your experience and you know what it is. There's no doubt in your mind, you know what it is. What happens next? You don't like it. You finally get to see what's happening, you don't like it. Aversion arises. However, as one practices meditation and you get highly developed interest in the meditation, joy arises. Now tell me, how can you be delighted with your experience and averse to it at the same time. Not possible. Joy when highly developed overcomes and banishes aversion from the mind. Today so talking about the factors of mind which overcome the hindrances. Connecting overcomes sloth and torpor, sustaining the mind overcomes doubt, joy overcomes aversion. What's the next hindrance? Uh, restlessness. <laughs> oh yes, restlessness. Well, there's not a mental factor that overcomes restlessness, but it's that comfort of mind and body. When joy settles down and the mind gets really comfortable and there's a sense of it's okay, the mind ceases to be restless. And that, that, that sukha, uh, that uh, mental and physical feeling of pleasure, some mellow delight, comfort of mind and body <coughs> overcomes restlessness. And when the mind is not restless but is comfortable, it is willing to stay on the experience. It's not jumping around, it stays on the experience, it stays settled, and it doesn't need to look for. It's not attached to anything else. It's not looking for and clinging to anything else. And the mind stays one point. One pointedness of mind overcomes attachment or clinging. So the mind stays with the object calmly without wanting anything else. These five factors of mind oppose these five hindrances. So this is the first 27 factors of mind 
the universals that arise with every moment of consciousness, the particulars that arise serving the function of beginning to cognize our experience, and the unwholesome, which are, some of them are perceptual, some of them are cognitive, and the attachment and aversion and doubt, they are our affective or emotional relationship to that experience, serving the affective function in the mind. So, we've got a couple of minutes for questions before the tape runs out. Any questions about these first? Yeah, yeah please. You, you said that you see the Which factors, which of these mental factors overcome conceit? Oh, I got the answers here. <laughs> of course, we understand that wisdom and mindfulness oppose, and, and wisdom and mindfulness are down here, we'll get to them, but wisdom and mindfulness oppose all of the unwholesome factors of mind. And we, we understand that when one practices mindfulness and develops the wisdom of knowing what's happening, all of these will be banished or overcome. Temporarily. Conceit in itself uh, is overcome by generosity uh, because the generosity, being generous, has a tremendous leveling effect. It just uh, it, it brings the poor up and it, and, it, and it knocks the high down and puts everybody on the same, <coughs> the same plane. And uh, it's a wonderful practice. Uh, so generosity which is down here, we get that, um, or non-attachment, letting go of that ability of the mind to let go of one's idea of oneself. It's not just generosity, it's that, that whole non-attachment to that view of yourself as being better or worse or equal to. And so generosity or that non-attachment is the uh, antidote to see. Also, when the mind is, uh, and we'll get to talk about these down here, when the mind is very energized and alert, it becomes very light, very pliant, very buoyant. And I'll talk about these down here, but they are also factors of mind that oppose the conceit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.